up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast. This is Money, and I am the dissertating dyke again because I've been making progress. So right. I feel like I can reclaim the the title. She was coding humanity style. Not to be you confused know. with the STEM coding, like research coding. What's the difference? Oh, I guess I don't actually I don't understand anything about. <laughs> I was about to say, STEM. I think I think it's the same. Potato, potato. Anyway, <laughs> my name is Nikita, and I am your friendly neighborhood DIY dyke. Oh, okay. I think you said this before. Well, you've been the dissertating dyke no, before. No, that, that wasn't a shot at you being unoriginal with your intro. That was me saying that I've heard you say you're the DIY dyke before. Yeah. You know what? Fuck you, Nikita. Drop the motherfucking intro. <laughs> Your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your glow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light. I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you to jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sis, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You're amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix. We move by your vibration, and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. You love. All right, Nikita, you wanna tell folks where they can listen to us? Where they can listen or where they can find us? Well, All the things. All you, right. You do both anyway. You can find us on Instagram at Queer Rock Pod. That's also our handle on Twitter. And I'll repeat it again at Queer Rock Pod. You can also find us on Facebook, Queer Rock colon, the podcast. Maybe you want to send something a little bit more personal, something a little bit more intimate, oh something longer in length. <laughs> you can shoot that right onto our Gmail, which is Queer Rock Pod at gmail.com. And where can you listen to this wonderful, marvelously made podcast? I'll tell you. I like you can go to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Yes. I, it's funny how you don't, you're not into sports at all, but you sound like a sports commentator. Going, going, gone. <laughs> I want to say something about in the paint. Point guard shooting. I'm just saying terms. Because going, going, gone. It's football. I know. No. It's more like baseball. Going, going, gone. Whatever. I, okay. I've already established I'm not that kind of diet. <laughs> That's right. You're a diet. I feel like I'm going to pull a Mia. Can you cut that out? <laughs> I'm leaving it in. I'm going to pull a diamond and leave it in. <laughs> uh, shout out to the homies at Marsh's Plate. Yes. <laughs> Money. This marvelously made podcast Mm -hmm. we are like the conductors of this train right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we have to have other people there's other workers that make the train experience go Mm -hmm. and strap hangers you know are we still talking about the train oh strap hanger (laughs) oh my god i was like wow is this the erotic (laughs) (laughs) i never thought thought of that as being like a lesbian innuendo thing until just now, but I meant um, riders on a train, 
That still sounds dirty. Thanks, yeah. Nikita. So this this metaphor is completely ruined. <laughs> what I'm trying to ask money is, how can folks contribute to this here program? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, you can contribute to this here program and community one of two ways. The first way is through your coin. You can do that by giving us a single time or, a, you know, just non-commitment donation at Cash App. Our cash app is dollar sign queer walk pod, P-O-D. And the second way that you can contribute using money uh, is by becoming a patron. And a patron, becoming a patron just means that you commit monthly to giving us some dollars. Uh, you, We have some suggestions there, but you can contribute as much or as little as you um, can. And you can do that at patreon.com slash queer walk pod. P-O-D. So give us your coin is the first way. The second way, do the R's. Rate, review, request, repost, retweet, and reply. You know I love the R's. I, I just love uh, alliteration. And so I was just so proud of myself when I realized that all these things start with R. But yes, um, use the hashtag QueerWOC when you're replying um, or... Use the hashtag to give us some requests of topics you would like to hear us cover. Repost the pod. Um, retweet the pod. Follow us on IG. Like stuff there. Put us in your stories. All those things are also ways that you contribute and keep us going. And speaking of the R's and doing all those things, you can also rewear the podcast I was, by getting... I didn't know where... That was a stretch, money. That was a stretch. Flag on the play, if you will. Okay. <laughs> By getting some Queer Walk merch. We still got the t-shirts in stock. If you would like a Gimme a Glucose Guardian t-shirt in black or Queer Walk yellow. Or if you would like a Mental Moment with Money t-shirt. And also available in black and Queer Walk yellow. We're all out of smalls, but we got you in every other size. And do you see how this is all one beautiful Queer Walk circle? Because if you wear that Glucose Guardian and you come across <laughs> a Glucose Guardian, then you have more money. To contribute to, to the contribute Patreon. To this here uh, podcast. <laughs> we work for you so you can help work for us. <laughs> yes. You know, community. Okay. I, I said it was two ways, but I also have another way that y'all can help contribute to this here program. Y'all know folks are looking for queer black and brown folks to talk about pride and what pride means to them on this 50th anniversary of the monumental Stonewall uprisings that birthed LGBT pride as we know it today. We trying to get flued out 2019. We trying to get trunned out 2019. <laughs> you see how we feel about trains. <laughs> I love apparently. trains. Uh, we really do love trains over here on this program. Get us for your Stonewall shenanigans. Yes. Um, you can hit us up at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com if you're interested in having us at your community group, your school, your uh, book club, your record store, any of those things. Maybe well, there's a fun gay block party or cookout. So, yeah. Or if you just know that your city is having a dope-ass pride, invite us. Yeah. QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. All right, Nikita, we're going to move it on along to the Queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer Walk of the Week segment. Um, can you just tell people real quick what the Queer Walk of the Week segment is about? Yes. The Queer Walk of the Week is a segment where we highlight, celebrate, or amplify 
a badass queer walk or queer puck doing badass shit. Wow, I couldn't have said it better. Thanks Which is you. why you asked me. Oh my gosh. You can't give you can't give you no compliments. It just goes straight to that big old head. Anyway, queer walk of the week this week is filmmaker, writer, director, extraordinaire, Anahita Gazvinzade. Mm-hmm. So Anahita, all right, uh, where do I start? So at just, okay, I'll back up before I get to the accolades. So Anahita grew up in Tehran, Iran, and moved to Chicago at 22. Um, She got her BFA from Tehran University of Arts and her MFA from the Studio Arts Program at the School of the Art Institutes in Chicago. And at 24 years old, she won a Best uh, Student Film Award from Cons is that how you say Cons? Cons <laughs> Film Festival. So I mean, like that's really young to already be winning like such prestigious awards as like a Cons Film Festival award. Isn't that how you say it? <laughs> uh, no s, I think. Con. <laughs> Stop this! <laughs> Keep telling us about Anahita, please. Okay, so um, the film that won Anahita the Best Student Film Award at Con was her. Uh, 2013 film Needle and it was a short film about a young girl wanting to get her ears pierced uh, through the neuroticism of her parents so it was just like a funny um, one of those rites of passage coming of age mm-hmm. short films um, which uh, won her the award and so I was reading about like her films because the reason why I wanted to pick her for Queer Walk of the Week is because of a more recent film that she did uh, last year called They, which I'll get to in a second. Um, but I was just reading about, oh, wow, it seems that a lot of her work centers, like, teens mm-hmm. um, in, like, this really um, awkward stage of life sure. that we all go through. Yeah. Um, and so she says that unlike mainstream cinema that makes, like, characters just emotionally, like, bare and, like, you can read everything that they're feeling and why she wants her characters um and this is a quote from her to be emotionally impenetrable Ooh. not even her camera can get inside wow. right which is why she says that she focuses on teenagers um because teenagers are those, those subjects it's just like they're uh tantalizing emotional mysteries is what she calls oh, them oh boy that's so, so accurate exactly right <laughs> and um, she does cite the the booming uh, child cinematography in Iran as like her inspiration. Um, so I mean, I didn't know this, but apparently, like, there's like a whole child cinema scene in Iran where all of these movies like center these like coming of young age people? stories of young. Yeah, that's wonderful. I feel like outside of um, like super gay <laughs> stuff. That's my second favorite genre on Netflix. It's like these awkward teenage yeah. movies. They're super cute. They're cute. And they just um I don't know, they make just they make things um feel possible to me too of like, you know, like a kid can have a totally different kind of childhood mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. I did. Than what we had. Yeah. Sure. Oh, some of the themes that uh, Anahita explores through her work uh, is family, notions of family, like who do we consider family, growth. And gender as an identity. Um, These are, like, common through all of her films. She did a three-part, like, little short film series um, centering teens and their exploration of gender. Um, And so that brings me to They. So I'm going to put the link to They, the trailer for They, in the um, notes for the show. 
but I just want to give y'all a little like synopsis of they. So Anahita wrote and directed this film, and it's a film about 14-year-old Jay, an Iranian-American teenager living in the suburbs of Chicago with their parents. And so Jay's been on hormone blockers for two years. And for those of y'all who don't know, blockers just... They stop puberty, essentially. Okay. They don't um, allow, like, your body to develop either way, like, um, from estrogen hormones, and so you go through, like, a typical girl puberty, or um, testosterone, where you would start to go through, like, a typical boy puberty. Mm-hmm. Blockers just kind of stop everything. And it is they're really amazing for young kids who are um, gender fluid or, like, questioning their gender, because um, it allows them time to, like, Make a make a choice, mm-hmm. and also you know a lot of parents they're like oh this a lot of things are irreversible when it comes to um, taking hormones, and so it also I feel like from like my family therapist perspective it gives um, the family time to transition as well as the kids. So yeah, so so the film they follows uh, Jay as they are um, ending their their second year on blockers and has to make a decision about whether or not they're going to transition or go through the puberty that their body would, like, typically go through. Um, and so they decide to make this choice on a weekend where their parents are out of town and they're staying with their older sister and her um, partner, her on-again, off-again partner. Mm-hmm. So... As as it sounds, you, you probably hear me smiling. This sounds like a really cute movie, and I really want to watch it. One, I don't see many queer movies at all starring, like, Iranian folks. Sure. And, like I said, my second favorite genre is, like, these teen, angsty, coming-of-age coming movies. Coming-of-age, sure, yeah. sure. Um, so, shout-out to Anahita again for um, being the, vi- the visibility for, like, lots of communities, but also... For being a fresh voice in film, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Nikita has kind of made me sort of like a film buff through like your standing of Cheryl Dunyer and like the amazingness that is, you know, Lena Waithe. And yeah. I'm just trying to... Uh, there's a whole rich history of queer women of color in film. In film, so, right. Yeah. Shout out, Anahita. Thanks for bringing this to our attention. I didn't hear about this. And so... I'm sure there are other people in the queer rock community who didn't know about it. And we're all so grateful. Yeah. I will put her website um, where you can see, like, stills from her movies, read more. I'm still trying to get my hand on they. uh, And so if anybody knows a way we can watch that, send it to us. And she also has a bomb-ass Instagram. You know, the aesthetic. So I'll put that in the description as well. All right, we're going to move it on along to community contributors. Are you ready for the jingle? I hope so. Up, oh, we need them dollars. I said I like it like that. Become a patron tomorrow. I said I like it like that. Get a shout out on Queer Watch. I said I like it like that. Community, yeah, it been hot. I said I like it like that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, again, that's not my, the same. That is. That's my favorite part of the song. That's how it starts out. <laughs> okay. So, can I start? You can. You can. Okay. All right. So, all of my initial shout-outs for community contributors this week are from this weekend. I went to the 7th Annual Lesbians of Color Symposium, or LOCKS. And so, I want to give a 
Huge shout out to the symposium co-founder, Shania Thomas, for first of all, organizing such a dope ass event for seven straight years. Uh, not straight years. Seven queer years. <laughs> yes. Seven lesbianic years. <laughs> and um, just, you know, I have to go to conferences all the time because I'm trying to be this academic hoe. And just like sitting in a room full of queer women of color early in the morning to late in the afternoon. I've just never, ever been in a space like that. And I kept saying all through the day, like, it's going to hit me when I leave here how, like, epic this is. You know, like, oh, I'm sitting in a lunchroom, like a literal, like, cafeteria with all lesbians of color. You know, (laughs) it's like, it just, it doesn't hit you in the moment. But it's just like, wow. Just the deep breath that you didn't know you needed. So um, thank you, Shania, for organizing Locks yet another year. And you definitely got a dedicated attendee in me. I will be back year after year after year. I'm going to be that old dyke that's like, this is my 44th year at <laughs> <laughs> Locks. <laughs> I remember when it was just year seven. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and hopefully I can get some time off because I would love to go. When we chatted about it off air, it sounded yeah. like it was a really stellar and amazing event. So amazing. I would love to experience it. It was amazing well. and bad and all good lesbian dykey ways like <laughs> like what how so like spoken word <laughs> oh are we really gonna do this on air it was bad in all good ways laughing about parking and like giving each other uh dating advice it was it was fun it was a very fun event oh and shanya is also a listener so oh. shout out um so as while we're on that listener wave i have Shout outs for listeners that I met at Locks. Okay. So first, Kat, thank you for coming up to me. Your your romper was bomb. Um, loved your whole look and am so appreciative that you listened. So shout out to you. Shout out to Kat. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> shout out to Adrian who played it cool the whole time we was talking about parking and then after i went back over to them because i was like oh it looks like they're they're here by themselves so i went back over they were like i listen to your podcast by the way <laughs> <laughs> and i was like thank you thank and you. it was just some, it was dope we um you know we had a really good conversation we laughed they had on the cutest button up you know i'm a sucker for a, a, a pattern so <laughs> uh so shout out to adrian uh, we didn't take any pictures together but I, I see you on the gram, though, killing it. I finally got to meet Amethyst in person. Yay, Amethyst! <laughs> okay, Nikita. <laughs> and, yeah, that was amazing. I had I had a headache because you know my head. It's, I feel like every every time I go somewhere, my head is like, mm, yeah. actually, press pause on the fun. Yeah, we're going to cut this shit out. Yeah. Um, but, nevertheless, we had... A dope-ass conversation. Uh, we took pictures together in the freezing cold. Um, and I, what I appreciate is that we agreed that, you know, hoes don't get cold, as our patron St. Cardi would say. But thoughts get chilly. Mm. So, so we had on coats. That's a word. That is a word. Thank you, Amethyst, for that. Yes. <laughs> and also, of course, want to shout out Chris. The homie. The homie, who's not only a listener, but who took all these photos that I will be posting that I took with the listeners. So... Um, just thank y'all for being my community and for being in community with me at the 7th Annual Locks 
symposium. It just sounds so wonderful. It, it just was, such it just seems like such a rich display of lesbian of color community. It was. It and it was I think a lot of times when people say like lesbian, people think that it's a restrictive label or like um what is what's that word you use when we were talking about lesbian off mic? That people think of lesbians as what's the word that means like going backwards? Regressive. Regressive. Yeah. Um, and that's not like the, the theme of the conference was um, catalysts of change. Mm. And that's that's exactly what those rooms felt like. Right. Oh, wow. Um, and and that like that love of. Well, first of all, we fucked with um, like concepts of like gender and what womanhood meant. Uh-huh. There was a whole um, keynote about that. The the box that we use to like identify or um, classify womanhood. Um, Shway Fam was uh, giving this keynote about like the all the ways that we understood uh, feminine gender um, before like atrocities of history and stuff. And so she was like, you know, we may have had other words for it, but the words that we have now are like woman and womanhood. And so what does it mean for us to like redefine those and like identify as those and also love those, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was just that energy all throughout the conference. Um, and so it didn't feel like, you know, lesbian as this uh, exclusive or like pejorative word. Sure, sure, sure. Um, it was a, a catalyst of change. Nice. And then when you say of color, you know, most of the time... Black folks gonna show up, yeah, but not a lot of other um, folks of color, sure. and it was not that at all. It was it was like truly women of color across the broadly the speaking. spectrum, yeah, a- across gender expression, across everything. It was just cute, cute as fuck. We should have <laughs> took like a picture, like a group picture. Oh my gosh, yeah. that has to happen from like next year and every year on. Yes, yeah, and then that way you can also get a sense of like, how it grows, how it grows. Yeah, it was dope. All right, so um, I'm done, you know, gushing over uh, Saturday. So do you want to shout out the new patrons and the Cash App folks? Yes. So we want to give a big Queer Walk thank you to (laughs) new patrons first. Hector, thank you so much. Thank you, Hector. A friend and comrade. Shout out to Tristan. Okay, Tristan. (laughs) Coming through on our patron. And then Wendy. Okay. Thank you, Wendy. Mm-hmm. And then we also want to give a shout out to Angela. New patron Angela. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Oh, we also got, um, so Women on Top Podcast also became patrons. So, oh, shit. You know, we see the, the women in podcasting connection. Thanks, y'all. That really means a lot. It does. And now moving on to donations we received through Cash App. So, shout out to Sarah and Alyssa for hitting us up on the cash app. Cha-ching, yes. cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> and that's actually the sound that it makes when you contribute via cash app. See, yet, I, kn- I knew that. Yet another reason why we stop fucking with PayPal. There's no nice sound when you can <laughs> contribute through PayPal. So, yeah. Um, you know, Sarah, we always thank you for all the things. But especially thank you for the cash app and Alyssa, too. Oh, that's Sarah Sarah. Yes, that's Sarah Sarah. Oh, shit, Sarah. <laughs> okay, so before we get to reviews, 
So we record in the past and future. It's so weird doing bi-weekly episodes. But as we record, this will be in the future. But no, when this drops, this, this will, will be, be in, in the, the past. past. But as we record, this is going to be in the future. But we just have to give a huge shout out to the homies fucking it up at South by Southwest. Shout out to Interho Uprising. Sam doing her thing on the panel for the Black Sense, along with Queen from Tea with Queen of J, um, Barry from Pods in Color. We just want to shout y'all out for like doing amazing Black uh, Daddy Brigade shenanigans at South by Southwest. And they invited and- all the hosts from Marsha's Plate. Yes. That was Queen and you- J, right? Yeah. So, you know, I do feel some kind of way that I'm not getting to meet Mia. And, like, everybody's getting to meet Mia before I get to meet Mia because she is so fucking funny. But, you know, next year. (laughs) (laughs) Next year, indeed. Yes, because, you know, as Queen would say, we taking over. And that's not the last of uh, Batty Brigade events. Yeah. We know it's not. Now we just got to keep it going. You know, like, the South by Southwest podcast stage cannot have a year without having a Batty Brigade podcast on it. That's the tradition. Yes. Um, And also, shout out the homie Stephanie from Bag Ladies is joining Queen and Jay on their live show also. Yes. Shout out to the homies. Yes. And I can't wait for these episodes to drop. Since, you know, broke life and couldn't go. So, we just wanted to shout out and congratulate the homies for fucking it up at South by Southwest. I see that you stopped doing the weird time zone thing in the DMs and now (laughs) you're bringing it to the podcast. I just want to be clear. Like, because they're... (laughs) You don't need to do this. We're dropping (laughs) the episodes. You don't need to do this, man. And they're panels. (laughs) You don't need to do this. But because we're bi-weekly... Stop this! (laughs) This is why your DM game was garbage. Okay. All right. Anyway, go on to the reviews, Nikita. <laughs> so, first, remember, in the six R's, one of them is review. Well, actually, there's two R's, review and rate. Yeah. So, if you don't have time to write a review, just hit the stars, the heart, the thumbs up, whatever the platform calls for. All right. So, we've got two new reviews. I'm going to read the first one because I'm everyone's favorite queer rock host. I'm kidding. I just said that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. You're fired. I'm not. The first review is from Sankofa Bird. The title of the review is, I hella appreciate y'all. Oh, this is somebody from California. We appreciate you too. Anyway, <laughs> Sankofa Bird says, Nikita and Money, Thank you for both representing the Black and POC queer community so well. This podcast was recommended to me by a homie in Oakland. I live in Long Beach, so rest assured you have many West Coast listeners. Oh, good to know. As one of the only very visible queer Black professors on my campus, all of the queer and students of color come to me with their issues. Yep. I've utilized some of Money's mental health activities to help them in their journey of self-discovery and to combat all of the racism and homophobia they experience on campus. <laughs> I've also utilized some of them for myself. <laughs> that shit is important. That's important. Yes. Sankofa goes on to say, Nikita, 
I've learned so much from your segment that I've utilized them in class discussions. I also learned a lot from the earlier podcast on socialism and workers' rights. I appreciate your, quote, receipts since I recognize white supremacy tries to discredit folks when they don't have them. Mm. I know this is getting Mm. long, so I'll say one more thing. The thing I most appreciate about you two is your laughter. If I'm having a rough day slash week, your podcast truly transforms my spirit. Please keep doing what you're doing. Hashtag QWOC. Hashtag Black Intellects. Hashtag Fuck White Supremacy, Privilege, and Fragility. <laughs> I'm Nikita, and I approve that message. Thank you for co- saying Kofa first. That is so sweet. Yes, that is. That's an amazing review. I'm like cheesing from ear to ear really right now. I appreciate that. Yes. And I, I feel like I know... One one day, I too will be one of the only queer of color faculty on a right. campus, and so I thank you for your work as a current student right now. Like I know, sometimes I just look at the the women of color faculty, but specifically uh, the out queer woman yeah. of color faculty, and I know that it's a lot of work that you don't get recognized for through the university. Yeah. It doesn't count towards your tenure, yeah. any of that shit, but it is life saving, yeah. and, and you- so. Yeah. Thank and you. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's like, it's such difficult work because mm-hmm. they fill in where the university has failed. Has failed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yes. Money, I'm so glad you said that. Not just thank you for the review, but just thank you for the work that yes. you do for the rest of our yeah. community. All right. I was just thinking about that J. Cole song, Middle Child. And I was like, that's how I feel in the queer community. You know, you know? I don't. Everybody's not, talking about this. I don't know that song. I don't know new J. Cole. Song. Okay. I'm sure it's wonderful. I'm little bro and big bro. No, nope, I once. didn't ask for it. Okay. Okay. Oh, that fits. All right. I shouldn't have trashed you. Exactly. All <laughs> right. <laughs> Second favorite queer rock co host. You just call me a hoe. Co host. <laughs> oh. About to say, I wish. All right. So the next review comes from Femme Magic, and it is titled You Need This Podcast in Your Life. Five stars. I love listening to this program. I'm a new listener and I can't get enough. The mental moments with money are so powerful, beneficial, and uplifting. And Nikita with the word, W-O-R-D capital, is just the perfect social justice contribution to the world. She brings history, facts, and has a heart for social change. Their chemistry is perfect and I always learn something new. You need these Queer Rock baddies in your life. Yes. Ooh, I love Thank that. You so much, Finn. Magic. Well, yes. Abracadabra, bitch. Oh my gosh. Nikita. I see Abracadabra on this show more you, than one you, would why? more than one would think. You work it in almost every episode. Like, like every three months, I feel like no, no, I no. use it. Abracadabra, bitch. All right. And last but not least, in the community's contributor segment, I just want to give a huge shout out to Jonesboro, Georgia. Don't know what's happening down there, but y'all popped up number four in our top cities. Y'all have never been there before. Congratulations and welcome to Queer Walk. Yeah. Ah, What's happening in Jonesboro? I I feel like there must be a Queer Walk takeover. All right. Somebody's down there, you know, on the queer agenda. What do you hear? Queer recruiting without fear. You know we're planting our flag all over the country. All over the globe, honestly. (laughs) Isn't that what the, the conservatives are so worried about? Yeah. You just... Expose it to them and they just go wild. <laughs> <laughs> it is contagious. No, <laughs> no. <Achoo. laughs> 
Nah, but thank you, Jonesboro. Um, a shout out to everybody down there listening. Shout out to just Southern queers in general. Yeah, we still we still looking for Southern queers who want to do a Southern queer episode. You know, that would be wonderful. Yes. That bop that y'all just heard um, introing the mental moment this week is if you obviously if you recognize the voice if you listen that's truth one half of Mother Nature who just dropped a new project called Pressure and if you haven't heard it it's streaming on all of the streaming things SoundCloud Spotify Apple Music all the things so shout out to Truth and Clever y'all know we love y'all over here and that. That track that I just played is called Born. Yes. All righty. So we're going to move it on along to my personal favorite segment, which is the mental moment with money. Yes. Um, So what you going to hear that's one today? (laughs) So y'all know this segment. I just try to give us some, you know, uh, empirically supported. Or, um, like, repurposed, black feminist-informed mental health tips, tricks, and tools, right? So, um, before I get into this segment, I would just like to say, this is not me being um, (laughs) elitist at all. And, like, I don't think people need credentials to help with, like, mental health at all. I obviously be screaming out how licensure is, like, an elitist uh, practice. And, you know, I don't think that smart people graduate. I think diligent people graduate mm. from these programs. So none of that. But what what I do want to say, y'all, is that healers, helpers, um, practitioners of mental health, your, your work should be informed by something other than you surviving your own trauma. Ooh. And so um, I'm not saying that to like... <laughs> Nikita! Say that again. Just say it one more time, please. Um... What I'm saying is that your work should be informed by something more than you surviving your own trauma. Yeah, they just need to hear that again. Go ahead. Yeah, and the only reason why I'm saying that, I really don't want people to be like, ooh, who is money shading, taking shots? I'm not trying to shade or take shots at anybody, any one person specifically. All I'm saying is that there is a study, there is huge, like, bodies of literature um, about... Like how and and if you don't want if you're not a reading ass bitch there are podcasts mm-hmm. if you're not a listening ass bitch there are workshops mm-hmm. like that you can go to to learn how to help others through hardships mentally right yeah because and I'm saying that because like we think that healing is just us going deep and like ripping open like wounds and scars to bleed publicly. But there is there is a practice of like you gotta you gotta be able to package that wound back up before you mm. send people out into the world. Mm. And I see a lot of like um, healers and um, you know 
practitioners of of like digging up stuff and like um healing other people just leaving people open you know and i you know i can think of all of these like words there's so many things like titration like trauma informed therapy practices all of these things like trauma focused cbt that all of these practices tell us that you can't just send people out after actively dunking them yeah. into their trauma, yeah. you know? Like, we love to be deep. Yeah, you go deep, but you also have to bring people back up for air, too. All right. So, Ooh. after all of that, <laughs> I just I just wanted to get on my little soapbox for a second. That was... And like I said, I'm not saying you need the credentials. All I'm saying is you, you just, just put a little bit more effort. I feel like into- what I hear you saying is that you may not need credentials, but you do need skills and tools. Yes, yeah. And that there are skills and tools. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, um, like, bitch, I survived it. So, like, let me show you how yeah. I survived it. Um, it, there, there are tools, you know, there are like tried and tested things that have helped. And I know people be like, you know, oh, fuck mental health because like it started from a racist, um, misogynistic place. Yeah. Ain't nothing good about it. Master's tools, master's house. Y'all love that quote. There are ways that we can repurpose the literature. And there are people who are doing trauma work with black folks who are writing about it. That like, um, and I'm saying black cause I'm black, but, uh, people, there are scholars of all colors doing this work around trauma. Mm. Um, and I can give y'all some if y'all are looking for it, but I'm not doing that for my mental moment. I actually want to do something really light and pop fun, um, because of that. Right. I like to take, I like to take kind of breaks in between doing like heavy mental yeah. moments and not heavy mental moments. So, to get into this week's mental moment, I wanted to talk about type A personalities. Have you ever heard of type A personality, Nikita? Yeah, I have. How have you heard it? I've heard of basically type A personality. Someone who has type A personality is like a very, like almost like neurotically Mm -hmm. driven to succeed, Mm -hmm. to get things done. They might be, I know that this is not the appropriate language, but just like in the popular discourses, they're like very OCD. Things uh-huh. have to be done a very certain kind of way. It's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, basically like neurotic, mm-hmm. like neuro- again, neurotically yeah. wanting to get things done and doing things and getting things done at all costs, whatever it takes. Yes. That's exactly the way people talk about type A personalities. Okay. But why I wanted to do this for a mental moment is that a lot of folks don't know that there's also type B, type C. Type E and type D. What? <laughs> Other personalities. I've been bamboozled. <laughs> and that these, unlike um, t- um, uh, trait-focused uh, personality indicators or like Myers-Briggs, a lot of people know like, I'm an INFJ mm-hmm. um, or something like that. Like this, w- the type A, B, C, and D, these personality types weren't created to um, describe us and our personalities as a whole, like the Myers-Briggs and stuff, or like um, trait-focused personality um, theories. Type A, B, C, and D was created to describe our responses to stress. Wow. Yeah. So, So these types aren't supposed to be like holistic personality descriptors. They're supposed to be behavioral situational descriptors to how you respond to stress. I have never, ever in all the years I've been alive have ever heard it described in that way. Well, that's why I'm here doing this mental moment. That's right. So, you know, I wanted to, I'm going to give a quick history, I promise. So it was developed 
up because you know I've been switching places with Nikita lately, uh, with all the like the back and the rooted, yeah, you know, like the the ruts getting to the ruts. <laughs> um, but it was developed by two cardiologists, um, Friedman and Roseman. In 1976 was the first time they started writing about this. And quick little story about how they started thinking about it. They had a waiting room. Like I said, they're cardiologists, so they're heart doctors. And they wanted to get their furniture reupholstered because it was, like, getting old. And the person who reupholstered their furniture was like, there's something different about your um, patients. They're not, they don't wear the chairs like normal wear happens for chairs. And so, like, Friedman and Roseman was like, um, what's going on here? And so they saw that, like, the edge of the chair was more worn than like usual wear and tear on a on a um chair would be, right? And like the very tip of the armrest. So what that told them was that these people are sitting yeah, yeah. on the edge of their seats. Um and so they started doing, you know, more more looking into this and more so Friedman than Rosenman. I guess Rosenman was like, I'm a heart doctor, I ain't got time. <laughs> but but You gonna post this shit or not? <laughs> But Friedman really stuck with it. And in 1996, he published this book about type A personalities. And so um, they characterized their their patients as type A personalities. And that's why the chairs were worn in this way. Um, and so Friedman did a lot of this research. And he describes type A people as achievement for achievement's sake, mm. folks. So, um, so these, these weren't people who like find enjoyment in like the winning, but it's just the winning in itself, right? Which response to, to stress, this is like very stressful. This is a very stressful life to live. Like I just need to achieve to have the achievement. Um, Friedman described leadership as being very important to type A's. They need to hold the title. They need to be the president or the, um, founder, uh, they're self-driven, um, which is a positive thing, um, but their express their expression of these um, characteristics come out in three major ways: um, hostility, f- and specifically free floating hostility, which means that they're very easily angered. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so like their hostility can be triggered by minor things, urgency and impatience, which causes them to be irritated really quickly. Again, these these types. These personality types are responses to stress, right? So, like, how do you respond to stress? And they're usually described as being short-fused people with type A personalities. They're competitive, uh, which causes, uh, induces stress. Uh, Sometimes they want to compete even when it's not a competition. Um, So, (laughs) this reminds me of, like, when you were a kid and it's like, shotgun! It's like, it's not a competition of who sits in the front. Everybody going to the same place. (laughs) Exactly. We all going to be in the same car. People with type A personalities are often high achieving. They would describe themselves as workaholics. Folks who multitask or are doing a bunch of things at once push themselves um, by setting deadlines. They hate delays and ambivalence. Things need to be clear for them, need to be on time. Maybe I'm a little type A. (laughs) Just a little. Um, and type A personalities tend to also have an internal locus of control. Do you know what that is? No, Nikita? I was going to ask you, what does that okay, mean? Okay, good. I love talking about locus of control. So <laughs> a locus of control is basically where people ascribe um, the power for change to happen. So folks who have an internal locus of control believe that they yeah. have all the power to create change in their lives. 
So I think that that's very empowering. You know, sure. it's definite. It definitely helps people be self starters. Um, you know, I'm the master of my fate, the captain of my soul, all that stuff. But you can see how that could cause somebody to be a worry wart and super stressed out if you feel like all change yeah. is internally motivated or if you don't reach it how much you would internalize it if, you, exactly. if for some reason you don't meet the change that you that you're trying to implement there you go nikita yes so that's type a personalities right so then i want to talk about the lesser known types that people like don't often talk about so the so type a as as a response to stress as opposed to what other types, right? So I'm going to put a link in um, the description if y'all want to take a test to see like which type you will fall into. I couldn't actually find a test with all the types um, because they're mostly in medical journals. And y'all know it's mostly the um, psychologists and the therapists who love doing the um, psychometrics. Which, which psychometrics is just like a fancy ass name for for the trait test. You know, it's pretty much like the the Facebook quizzes that you take. Okay. But these things are like, you know, sure. t- um, tested and va- validated and all that stuff. But yeah, so type Bs. What are type B personalities? So people with type B personalities, by definition, generally they just live at a lower stress level. I think about these as... Uh, Sagittarius, Sagittarii, is that the plural of Sagittarius? That sounds right. Sagittarii or um, some Leos. I'll say some Leos. (laughs) I just um, experienced Sagittarii and some Leos as just naturally laid back people. Mm -hmm. Um, That's how I think about type B personalities. They like to work at a steady um, level pace and enjoy achieving. They get the enjoyment out of achieving, but they don't become stressed when they don't achieve. Okay. Um, They're charismatic and don't have to be the leader, but can be. Sure. Um, It's like pretty much all the the inverse things of type A's. They're Mm -hmm. just a lot more laid back. Um, when faced with competition, they don't mind losing and they just enjoy playing the game. They might be creative and enjoy exploring ideas and concepts. So they'll like sit there and be all heady with you. Mm-hmm. Type B personalities tend to have a poor sense of time, late, <laughs> um, have a hard time scheduling. Um, and people describe them as like right brain, bright brain thinkers. And what does that mean? Right brain is ascribed with all like the creative creativity and creative like parts okay. of our yeah so a lot of people say that left brain people are super analytical okay and right brain people are super artistic and type b personalities have a mixed locus of control so which is to me when i think about like change happening this feels like a much more healthy way to think about how change happens right. i'm partly the reason and external factors are sure. also partly the reason Type C people have difficulty expressing emotions and tend to suppress them, especially negative ones. So this is a diff- this is the next type. So I did type B, type C, right? Type C means um, that they might also display like pathological niceness. What is so, that? So it's just like when I think of type C people, they are so uncomfortable with. Um, upsetting others that that it's just like a compulsion for them to be nice. So type C's will lose just because they don't want the other team to be mad at them. Oh, wow. Okay. That that makes sense? Do you know people like that? Maybe one person I'm thinking about. 
they they are re- they have like a really high like need to be socially accepted. Okay. Um, and they have an external locus of control, and that that kind of follows with the compulsive niceness, right? You oh, think I see. You have no control over anything, and like. Uh, change only happens through these external things, right? Oh, a good thing about type C's, though, is that they're um, intensely empathic. So when some people call themselves empaths, it makes me wonder if they have, like, type C response to stress. It's like, you are so attuned to what other people feel. And so that could be be a positive, but can also be a fault. Like, it might stop you from doing things that you want to do because you're prioritizing somebody else's experience over your own. And they so because of this, a lot of type C people are described as like introverts because they like to work alone. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I would I would never want to be around other people <laughs> if like my initial reaction right. was like, you know, what what like if you're always prioritizing somebody else, sure. that's just oof. that would be extremely it's exhausting. exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Um so I could see how a lot of type C's would be introverted. And so the last two are really like um, medical journals used, but I thought that they were useful because I feel like I know folks that might fall into these. So type D is another typology, um, and the D is for distressed, and it has all the worrying characteristics of type A, like the super drive to like succeed mm-hmm. and wanting to be um, on it and everything. But they have all of the lack of time management skills of type B. So you can see how those two would clash and you would be constantly distressed. Yeah. So that's the type D. So if 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 both of those, type A and type B, stuck out to you, then you might be type D. Okay. Um, and then the last type, type E, is for someone who doesn't fit neatly into any of the above categories, but might have traits of some of them. Okay. So it's just like a mixed bag, type E. Okay. I feel like <laughs> mine would change. I was going to ask on, you. It would change depending on like the uh, situation I'm in. I think when it comes to school, um, lately I'm a lot more type A. I think when it comes to work, I'm a lot more type B. You know, I'm like, Lave, what are you looking at me like that for? I'm just listening to you. No, you're judging me. I just feel like you're a type A in terms of, if we're talking about especially responses to stress, I think across the board, I think you're type A. I don't think across the board. Okay, maybe not across the board, but. A little. Again, in response to stress, money? Okay. (laughs) I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I think Nikita is classic type D. Yeah. You have all of that, all of that. Okay, okay. The material conditions of type A. But time? <laughs> I was just hoping we could move on. Nikita rolled in here two and a half hours late to record it <laughs> with an attitude as if she had to wait two and a half hours on me. <laughs> I just knew you were going to try to work that in here somehow. Yeah. Um. And so, I d- so those are the types, you know? Those are the five that I go through five. Type A, type B, type C, type D, and type E. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I just thought this would be fun to do because I hear people say they're type A all the time. Yeah. And I just wanted folks to know that these these types are related to like how you process stress. Yeah. Thinking of that. So subsequent um, studies, because y'all know I'm a researching ass bitch and a nerd about this stuff and I like to give y'all empirically supported things. Freeman's whole 
hypothesis on these types is that they have um, health outcomes, right? They have health predictors because obviously he was a cardiologist. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, so he characterized all of his patients as like type A. And so his hypothesis was that those who function in this overachieving, workaholic, multitask, um, type A personality um, have more higher risk of heart disease. Mm. But actually, um, meta-analysis of studies since then, and what a meta-analysis means is that they look at all the small studies that have been done uh, on this and conduct their own study from that one. So they didn't go out and find their own like research participants. They just analyzed the existing research. So yes, meta-analyses show that this isn't necessarily the case What's a bigger indicator of the health outcomes is people's what? Coping skills. Mm. So even though this type A might be your response to stress, if you had bomb-ass coping skills, you didn't have a higher risk of heart, heart disease. Oh, wow. Right? Also, as we would expect, Friedman only did his research with men. Oh. So um, gender differences found that... Folks who don't identify as men have better coping skills anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's a shock. I was about to say, that's not to, really a surprise. Just the way we get socialized in society that, like, folks who don't identify as men actually get taught how to deal with their emotions um, and how to how to deal with stress uh, or have to learn it because of the, uh, <laughs> the marginalization or oppression we experience. Or don't have as much of a barrier or issue reaching out to learn how mm-hmm. to develop mm-hmm. coping skills. Like asking for help. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That That's, I guess, yeah, thank you for saying that in a normal person's way. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, So, I hope that helps. I hope you, like, learned a little nugget from there. Maybe you realize, like, oh, my gosh, this whole time I've been thinking I'm type A, but actually I'm type D. Uh Welcome. (laughs) So, yeah, those are the the five different personality descriptors, type indicators. Holy shit, that was fun. I did I had just no idea about any about this of anything about this. I mean, type A again kind of knew. I just assumed type B was the opposite, but when you mm-hmm. said C, D, yeah. and E, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> Go ahead, use the hashtag and tell me what type you think you are. Yeah. <laughs> And now, our bi-weekly word from our womanist, worker, wordsmith, wizard, Nikita. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. You stole it from me! <laughs> so, what's the word, Nikita? Okay, so it's going to be, I thought about it, and, you know, I got your input on it, and we're going to do a two-parter. Okay. Right? So... This week, we're going to talk about anti-Semitism, and we're going to do it as a sort of scaffolding to lay the foundation to talk about the relationship between Mm anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, because Mm -hmm. there's a confusion, spoiler alert, on this program, (laughs) we don't think that anti-Zionism is Mm anti-Semitism, but so we're going to do a two-parter. So this week, on this episode... I'm going to talk about some, give some context with Ilhan Omar mm-hmm. and everything that's happening with her, the congresswoman from from Minnesota, uh-huh, and uh-huh. then lay out what anti-Semitism is. Mm-hmm. And then in part two, 
we're going to lay out what Zionism is and then make the case about why, why being against Zionism is not anti-Semitic. Okay, okay, got you. All right, well, let's get into um, Ilhan then. Yes. And, like, what's going on with her? Tell us, tell us. Okay. I want to start out by talking about all the stuff that's been happening with Ilhan Omar, mm-hmm. right, the congresswoman from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So about a few weeks ago and over, like, the past month or so, people have been calling her anti-Semitic, mm-hmm. right? And so there's been two things um, that she has said or tweeted, which has um, brought her under the ire, not just of the right wing, but of certain parts of like liberal Dems and just like liberals in general. So she's made comments that are critical of APAC, and mm-hmm. APAC stands for the American Israel Political Affairs Committee, which is a right-wing pro-Israel lobbying group. Um, and they're outsized influence. So they lobby in defense of and in support of mm-hmm. Israel. So she was critical of them. And then she made some comment, which was fair enough, was like clumsy, where she said she didn't understand why why it wasn't okay that there was an influence for people to have like dual allegiances. Right. So she's trying to say that, like, why can't why as somebody who lives in the U.S. is, you know, is she and others being forced to have some kind of allegiance to like Israel? Again, mm-hmm. it's, it's like a clumsy thing. Wasn't really a sharp way um, to make the point. But um, and I was just, I'm going to put a link to this. But there's a there's an interview from The Dig with Linda Sarsour who is a longtime organizer, a Palestinian American. She's one of the leaders of the Women's March. It's just, it's a long interview, but it's so good. And so she's just talking about, um, so she talks about Ilhan Omar. She talks about the other uh, Congresswoman, Rashida Tlaib, and just talking about, you know, the changing mood and the changing consensus around criticism of Israel and support Mm -hmm. for Palestinians. It's a very, very good interview. But, one of the things um, that she, and I think it's a good point, where she says, so of course that, you know, her statement about like dual allegiance, uh, her being Ilhan, it's like, again, it was a clumsy statement. She probably shouldn't have phrased it that way. But Linda Sarsour makes the point that, you know, her AOC, because a few, it was like a while ago, I think maybe last year, like AOC said some stuff around um, the issue that really demonstrated, I think it was on an interview on PBS, that just demonstrated that she just didn't have a command of the issue. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so Linda Sarsour's point is that there are these, these new congresswomen who, who are not like long-time, right, long-standing right. politicians mm-hmm. and they're still trying to figure things out. And they're not saying things maybe in the way that like a seasoned long-time organizer or politician would, would speak on these right. issues. Mm-hmm. Right. And the the two points that I think are important are that the attacks on Ilhan and the attacks on Rashida are really about the fact that they're both Muslim women of color. Like a lot of these criticisms are coming from people who actually don't care. Um, Not just about anti-Semitism. They don't care, you know, about Jewish Americans. They don't care about Jewish folks, but they don't care about bigotry and Mm -hmm. rooting out any sort of like prejudice or oppression generally. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. And then there was a, um, Ilhan had just such a really sharp statement, right? And I love the fact that, you know, so she says, okay, like in her apology, I'm just paraphrasing and summarizing. She was like, okay, I should be more thoughtful about my words, but that doesn't change the fact that 
it's it should be okay for me to be critical of Israel mm. and of groups like APAC. Right. Right. So she so yes. she didn't kowtow, you know right, what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So she she remained firm and steadfast in her like political critique and her political analysis. Which she should. And so she mm-hmm. says that like so she's like this outsize um attacks that she and Rashida Talib are facing are directly it's not just because that they're women of color and Muslim, but it's like they also have a staunchly unequivocal, unapologetic, like progressive stance, not just on the support and the rights of Palestinians, but of oppressed people across, mm-hmm. you know, across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're loud about it and they're not going to shut up about it. Right. Right. And then there's also, so it's, again, there are attacks on them because they're Muslim women of color. But it's also, some people just actually don't want to have any sort of meaningful conversation about, they, they, they call, or I'll say it this way, they think that any sort of criticisms of Israel or Zionism is somehow an anti-Semitic yeah, project, right? right. And so that's really where these, I think, where the critiques come mm-hmm, from. Mm-hmm. And you can see this by, let's just see who some of the people are. Like Marco Rubio. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there are other conservatives. And it's like, these... Let me just give you some quick examples mm-hmm. of... So, like, a lot of the pushback she received was from Republicans. But look at what these Republican uh, folks have been saying and doing, mm-hmm. right? So this is how we know that they don't actually care about anti-Semitism, which is, you know, for real and on the rise. And right, we'll, right. I'll talk about that in a minute. But remember when in the uh, when the white supremacists, uh, the Tiki Torch hate march mm-hmm. in Charlottesville... What did Trump say? That there was fine folks on both sides. Yeah. And lest we forget what those um, nasty white supremacists were chanting as they were um, parading down the streets of Charlottesville. One of the chants was Jews will not replace us. Yeah. Where was Marco Rubio then? Mm-hmm. And um, he's out of the administration. But Steve Bannon, who was Trump's chief strategist and senior counsel, Steve Bannon was... Um, he ran the uh, the right wing nasty uh, website and publication Breitbart, which is totally in bed with white nationalists, the alt right, and white supremacists. Where's the Republican Party on that? Yeah, and then and that nasty misogynistic fueled temper tantrum from Kavanaugh. One of the things that he was squawking about was the quote unquote Soros funded activists. And I'm going to talk about why that's a problem um, when I talk about what anti-Semitism is. And then again, Steve King, uh, the congressperson from Iowa, who's in who's total racist scum. He said some little sick comment about why is it bad to talk about white nationalism, Western civilization. He's like, those were the things I grew up feeling proud about, that I learned to be proud about. He's got some of the most reactionary, offensive, right-wing support of like um, totally anti-immigrant legislation. And so it's like... Y'all, y'all not being politically consistent. Right, you know, right. this is how we know that this is not it's any not kind of a, real yeah. concern. That it's not actually about anti-Semitism at all. Right. It's about this being a brown woman who dares to have an opinion in support of oppressed folks. Right. And so that's on the conservative side, right? But it was folks from her own party, like the higher-ups, 
folks like um, Nancy Pelosi. So they decided that they were going to create some resolution and they had some direct language around calling out the myth of quote unquote dual allegiance. And so they didn't name Ilhan by name, but again, that's kind of, that's exactly what she said Mm -hmm, in their statement. mm -hmm. So it's clear that that was a direct response Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. Ilhan. And so I didn't think that AOC's support, like she came out in defense of um, Ilhan, but it wasn't as strong as I thought it as I thought it should have been. But mm-hmm. one of the things that she and others were saying that was like, why all of a sudden, you know, with all kinds of like anti-immigrant, xenophobic, white supremacist, homophobic, transphobic violence that's mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. in the country, why would you now, in response to this, you know, freshman woman of color, mm-hmm. um, Muslim, new congresswoman, why is this the thing where you right. want to condemn a very specific uh, form of hate, which should be condemned, mm-hmm. d- don't get it twisted, but you haven't wanted to write any kind of resolution for anything for else. For anything else. Yeah. Right? Where was, the, yeah. Like, where, where's the resolution for, like, anti-trans legislation? Right. Where's the resolution for the, like, blatant hatred of, like, Mexican folks and Latinx exactly. folks. Exactly. Like, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there was what I'm really impressed by, and I think it really does, you know, signal a shift in the mood on the issue, um, is that there was widespread public outcry. There were a number of petitions and there were a number of little uh, blurbs on social media telling people to call, you know, the um, the Democratic leaders. And they didn't end up going through with that resolution, mm. right? And not only did they not end up going through with the resolution, you know, the, the very narrow one around anti-Semitism, but they re, they were pushed, and it's, again, only because of mass pressure, um, and they're getting to see, especially where um, young people, but where, like, the progressive wing of the base is, mm. right? But they ended up writing a resolution that denounced all forms of oppression. So they named specifically, mm. like, White supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, okay. right? And it's not because, you know, they they just had a magical right, change that's of what heart. I was just thinking. You know what I'm saying? It's only because they saw this like groundswell of support mm-hmm. behind Ilhan. You know what I mean? And what I thought was really interesting is that there were these statements from three of the leading candidates for the nominee for the for president on the uh, Democratic side. I mean, they weren't like amazing glowing statements but they the statements do demonstrate again a shifting and there is wider public agreement that there is space in u.s political discourse to criticize israel so kamala harris put out a statement uh bernie sanders put out a statement and elizabeth warren put out a statement right Mm -hmm. mildly in defense of ilhan and Regardless of how fucked up they might have been in other regards, mm-hmm. they did say there should be political discourse to talk about, to criticize Israel. And that is, again, that is a huge shift. It's, yeah, it's different even in like the last two years. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And Kamala, actually, not not that long ago, so the, it's meaningful, not because she's some great person as like championing pr- progressive values, but because she actually has given speeches to APAC. Hmm. And so she said explicitly, and she does so on some level in the statement, saying that the U.S. needs to maintain this relationship with Israel. So the fact, and we, and again, we don't need to go back to talk about her record, <laughs> but the fact that this is somebody who has said that the U.S. should have, you know, a positive relationship with Israel, the fact that that person has been pushed to be like, you know, 
Ilhan is being unfairly targeted mm-hmm. and it's okay to, to criticize Israel. That really yeah. shows the um that shows the effectiveness and the growth of the movement. Mm. You know what I mean? But something that I that I've been noticing though is that so I don't want to discount that. I think that that is I think that we can like unequivocally count that as a victory. Yes. But I think one of the issues, one of the things that seems like outside of the bounds of the discussion is, does Israel fundamentally have a right to exist? I think that's mm-hmm. kind of, I think that's the contentious mm-hmm. part, right? That's, you mean that's what people don't want to talk about or like fuck with? That's the question? That's right. Because I think, mm-hmm. so I think people will agree at this point, again, because of the movement, that it's okay to talk about to criticize Israel for, like, the occupation, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that it's essentially, like, apartheid, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the the way that they're routinely and consistently maiming mm-hmm. and killing children, people who are rightfully wanting to protest. Mm-hmm. That So I think that's why... You know, so I think that that is increasingly within the allowable bounds of discourse. Right. So it's kind of like, yes, there's something wrong, but Israel still has a fundamentally a right to exist. I mm. think I think that there are mm. some people who still believe who be, who believe you can criticize Israel. That's not anti-Semitic. But if you criticize, if you say that it fundamentally uh, does not have the right to exist in the capacity that it does, I mm-hmm. think that's when people say that's anti-Semitic. Right. So this, of course, you know, brings up. First, you know, what is Mm anti-Semitism, right? So there's, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes, but there's a really, really good resource from a group. It's a leftist progressive group called Jews for Economic and Racial Justice. And so they have, it's like a 40 something page document, but it's, it's broken down in sections, right? So you could just like skim and peruse like at your leisure. So I'm getting this particular section on anti-Semitism, um, from them. It originates in uh, European Christianity, right? And so anti-Semitism is a form of oppression uh, that, of course, specifically targets Jews. And it takes the form of scapegoating uh, programs like violence, like extreme forms of violence, exploitation, um, and marginalization. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of want to give some examples about how this manifests, Right. So I think one of the things I heard, like the first one I'm going to say, the first one that I heard growing up is that Jews are responsible for the death of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I remember hearing that. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily not necessarily from my uh, family, but growing up in the South from like other yeah. um, evangelical mm-hmm. um, Christians, I feel like I heard that. Right? So there's that. Um, then there's the nasty little canard. Uh, the race science, like the like parallel to like the eugenicist mm-hmm. stuff that was happening here and throughout the world, but that saying that they're like biologically and genetically inferior. So there's on that front, and then there's this really um, nasty trope called um, blood libel. Have you ever heard of this? No. And so this is, I mean, this is really egregious. And so the I, this idea uh, specifically is that. Jews use the blood of Christian children for like ritual purposes. And so this is like an older, like anti-Semitic trope. Again, just like really what? vile. Yeah. Right. I can't remember the term. I'd never heard this term, but one of the terms that they used was it was like misopicism or something like that. And like it just says like the idea behind that is that the idea that Jews are just like really dirty and that's what I was disgusting. just thinking. Like it's yeah. trying to paint them as like barbaric people who yeah. 
And then um, this is, I think this is another one. This is probably a really common one around money. It's important to say that this, the idea that um, this is, this is the form of the scapegoating, right? Mm -hmm. So it's important to note that in periods of economic downturn, that's when Jews have often been blamed for other people's economic woes and yeah. misery mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. that's and that's typical right yeah, we, we see the we same see thing that. here yeah. right mm-hmm. around undocumented immigrants mm-hmm. or um like when black folks were like migrating like this is like this is a common trope that people use um that the ruling class it uses you know to instead of blaming capitalism you're just going to say hey it's actually my jewish neighbor it's yeah. my undocumented neighbor it's my black neighbor right and then you know the isolation so that so again this um, a history of Jews being uh, pushed into like ghettos and like economically, mm-hmm. and so on the one hand, there's an idea that you know that they've that they're like greedy again, mm-hmm. going back to like the the money thing, and that they're the ones who are responsible uh, for other uh, people's like economic woes. But like on the flip side, like in terms of like the actual reality is that a lot of times Jews were forced into. Um, like again, ghettos, so where they're economically um, marginalized mm-hmm. and isolated. Mm-hmm. And then I think another common one is that there's like there's like the secret nefarious plot, like a secret nefarious group of Jews that are secretly trying to run the world. Like this is like a very common um, trope. And that is most infamously known in something called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. So this came out. This was a total hoax. Uh, that came out from Tsarist Russia in the early 1900s. It was again, it was totally fabricated, and in the in the document from the Jews for Economic and Racial Justice, they say it was totally fabricated by the Tsarist regime and uh, the police. Again, the police have I never was, played any kind yeah. of helpful role in anybody's society. It just reminds me; it parallels so much of like um, I don't know, like. Uh, black tropes and stuff exactly like, i was thinking about like the willie lynch letters is this like yeah a total hoax that a was total just, hoax yeah and so hmm. it was a totally fabricated hoax saying that there was like a worldwide secret plan that jews had for <laughs> domination and side note henry ford in the 1950s so you know the ford the car motor company he had uh, he had half a million of these pamphlets printed in the u.s you know, I don't, again, I don't see anybody saying, you know, and we, and people love to talk about Henry Ford as like the paragon of like, you know, business uh, yeah. and all that. And it's like, you know, again, American made right. machinery and all this shit. Exactly. Hmm. And I just another, I think, go no, ahead. Oh, I, no, I'm just trying to think through everything. It makes sense. I was just thinking like, that's why people don't want to go there and like questioning if like Israel should even exist because it was in a lot of ways make them question if, like, America should even exist. Another settler colonial state. Yeah. Exactly. So one of the... Oh, this is um, another point on the economic front. So a lot of times Jewish folks were actually forced into certain professions Mm -hmm. like money lending because they were um, systematically barred from From other other kinds of positions. And so you say, oh, look, this is like... You know, you use that nasty anti-Semitic trope of, like, a greedy Jewish person. It's like there's a history of them being forced out of other jobs. And again, this is why the materialist analysis is always so helpful and important. And then, of course, you know, the the Holocaust was steeped yeah. in, like, the worst, just actual, like, killing and murdering um, of Jewish folks. Um, and then, um, shout out to the Bay, who was also, uh, who was an anti-Zionist Jew who helped me prepare. And so, <laughs> uh, she gave me... Um, what up, Jeffy? 
What? Hey. <laughs> um, and so one of the things that she told me was that, so th- that lays out kind of the basics, some basic ideas and tropes of what. Um, Anti-Semitism is. Right. So again. So this is like anti-Jewish and Jew, anti-Jewish uh, beliefs, rhetoric, and actions. Right. That's exactly. That's what anti-Semitism exactly. is. Okay. And so there's actually, so she was telling me that there's actually been like lobbying to include being critical of Israel or being anti-Zionist as mm-hmm. a part of like anti-Semitism. That, that hasn't always been a part of the definition. And so again, of course, especially in the political moment that we are, that we're currently in now, like white supremacy and fascism is like, it's on the rise mm-hmm. all across the country, not just all across the country, but all across the globe. Like last year, or I think it was 2018 or 2017, there was that really horrific massacre that happened at the Tree of Life synagogue where 11 people mm-hmm. uh, were murdered by yeah, a total racist, I remember that. white supremacist, mm-hmm. um, reactionary, killed 11 people. Um, in France, there's been an uptick, 74%. Um, rise in offenses against Jews in France, 60% in Germany. Um, the FBI last year reported that there was almost a 40% rise in the U.S. And again, open white supremacists marching down a street. Right. Screaming, chanting, Jews will not replace us. Yeah. You know, so it's mm-hmm. like anti-Semitism is a real thing. But right. again, a lot of these people don't actually care. Mm-hmm. Right. And a so, lot of the people criticizing Ilhan. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. Or saying not just her, but people who, they they say that people who criticize Israel or criticize um, Zionism, they say that they're anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, yeah. So yeah, again, not just her. Within the, the appropriate or the allowable bounds of discourse, says like, criticizing Israel is fine. But they have an interesting thing in the um, document where they say something to the effect of, it's because Jews have faced actual and real anti-Semitism that this is why they have felt like Zionism is like an appropriate response to to that anti-Semitism. Oh. So they don't actually take... And so they say this is kind mm-hmm. of why people like feel that way, but they don't like come down one way or the other. I feel like they were being, and I, and in my opinion, I could be wrong. I feel like again that reflects that idea that you know you can because they, they say explicitly criticizing Israel is fine, mm-hmm. you know, but there are like white supremacists like David Duke who do who criticize Israel not on legitimate terms or do it in actually deeply anti-Semitic ways. Mm-hmm. But they, they don't come out and say that there's like something inherently wrong with Zionism. And again, mm-hmm. I think that that is a reflection of that that is, that is the, that's actually still a very contentious part of the mm-hmm. discourse. Mm-hmm. I think the way that I would answer the question, like, does Israel have the right to exist? I, my answer is certainly not as it's currently constituted. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, Nikita. Well, we're going to get into the topic this week. What are we talking about? Um. All right. So I saw that, um, you know, Out Magazine has just been killing it, you know, ever since. After uh, they had all the the black queer baddies. The mothers and daughters of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, Raquel's just doing her thing over there at Out Magazine. Yes. And I know it's not all her. I know it takes a village. But sure. I'm just saying. I've never paid this much attention to Out before. <laughs> before hashtag hire a black woman (laughs) so i saw this article um that a lot of people were reposting um called queer people are changing the toxic culture of barbershops 
And it's written by Jamila King, who um, we follow on the Twitters. And is um, a baddie. I wasn't going to say it. I'm glad you did. Um, and so, specifically, Jamila is writing about this queer-owned barbershop in, of course, Brooklyn, called Camera Ready Cuts. Owned and operated by Cuts Well. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, you know, the, all the barbers at this shop are, um, queer, uh, you know, just do exceptional hair. And it made me think that for our topic this week, maybe we could talk about some of our barbershop stories. Yeah. Cause I think it's so like, I read the article it is so accurate and like there's just a vibe when you walk into a barbershop that's like a, a very like masculine and uh, male dominated space in a way <sighs> that yeah so let's talk about some of our experiences with the barbershop it also made me think about like having side shaved and like oh. um conversations we've had and like questions we got about like why queer folks shave their sides yeah. um so yeah let's talk about barbershop experiences well, I've just been bumping my gums on the world. You kick us off. Um. Okay. So, I think my barbershop experiences, when I was younger, uh, I used to live above a barbershop in Queens. Hmm. And so, um, the barbershop has, like, always been, like, a staple in my life, you know? Like, I can't remember a time before, like, knowing about barbershop culture. And I actually used to, like, sweep up sometimes. I, I know. Every- I had no idea. Yeah. You what do you mean you had no I didn't ideas. know that you lived above a barbershop. Yeah. Well, it was um so there's storefronts. You know what storefronts are? Um Yes, I know what a storefront is. I don't I don't know. I don't know they got storefronts in Texas. Yes. Okay. Well anyway, yeah, we lived in a storefront um from like seventh grade through high school and like so there was like a church <laughs> and a barbershop right next door. And so yeah, I would always hang out at the barbershop. They had cable, we didn't, you know. But all the barbers were men. And it's so funny because I remember wanting to learn how to cut hair. And, like, um, I can't remember if it was my uncle or somebody else in the barbershop who was like, nobody going to get their hair cut by a girl. Yeah. Right? And so yeah. nobody ever taught me how to cut hair, even though, like, I do hair. Like, yeah. I braid. I do all the things. I just don't know how to cut hair. Even though I'm slowly learning because of my experiences at barbershops. Yeah. So I always knew that there was, it was almost like a a certain level that you can unlock in the barbershop as, like, a woman. Yeah. And then you can't go no further. Or or even, like, the haircuts you would want, right? So, like, you would come in wanting a fade, and they would round you off in, like, this real oh weird my gosh. round yeah. edge up and, because it's quote-unquote feminine. Yes. And then you leave looking like you didn't even get a haircut. Yeah. And so I noticed all those things. And so when I got older, I think it was like 2014, I shaved my head. And thankfully, there was a black lesbian barber here in Syracuse who shaved my head for me. And I I, I didn't think about how um, epic that was until I read this out piece. My first time shaving my head was Mm. done by a black lesbian because uh, I think I was waiting. I would say I was waiting to find a barber that wasn't like a guy to do Mm. that. I've had experiences, definitely, like, in the article, people talked about, like, they're just being silenced when you're in the barbershop. Yeah. Like, they don't want to talk around you. Yeah. Um, I've had that happen. Uh, I've had, oh, my gosh. So, once, it was actually on my birthday, two years ago, I went to get my hair cut, but I have locks, and I, I'm all my sides are shaved, right? So, I always go for the edge up and to get my sides 
faded. And I went to this barbershop that I don't usually go to because I was searching for a good barber because son moved. Um, son being the... The black lesbian barber yeah. who shaved my head. And this dude, I guess he just like clocked us or something. He like read that we were queer, right? And he starts telling this story about this stud that he almost fought because he previously like had sex with her girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And so she came in the shop and he like picked up, he's literally cutting my hair telling this story. And he picks up a plastic like fork and breaks it on his arm and is like, who would want plastic when they could get that real and like slaps his arm. Oh my God. And he's cutting my hair telling this story, right? And so I'm like, I'm not going to lie. I'm like scared. He's he's cutting my hair. I'm sure. in a, like, you know, and then you're telling me about like uh, intimidating and being violent towards a lesbian. And I can only assume you're telling me this story because you clocked that I was a lesbian. Yeah. You know, it's like, what, do you tell dudes who sit in your chair this story? Do yeah. you tell like women that you read as straight yeah. or whatever this story? And so um, like after all of that, I never, I never, ever went back to that barbershop. Um, and then I talked to other like queer folks that I know, like, you know, Babyface and, and like they did the same thing to Babyface, like told this story about intimidating this stud who came yeah. in because he like, and, and from his whole story, the stud never said anything to him. This is him, right? Like, like being really aggressive towards her. So that was really ugly and disgusting. Um, and I never, ever went back to that barbershop. I've been directly told to my face that somebody charges me more because women are quote unquote indecisive and don't know what they want. Even though I get the same fucking haircut yeah. every time I go to the barbershop is actually kind of it's kind of getting boring at this point I always get an edge up a sharp edge up not that round bullshit I always get an edge up and my sides faded and you telling me I'm indecisive and that's why you charge me more yeah so so you that doesn't even make sense you charge a guy $15 for the same haircut that you give me and you charge me 25 that is oh my god and I I I called him out on this like i know you charged men 15 dollars for this same haircut and he literally was like laughing in my face like yeah you know i gotta charge y'all more because y'all don't know what y'all want what who you who is y'all what are you talking about that doesn't even make sense i've, I've been to your barbershop eight different times and got the same haircut me. every time who's indecisive sir it sounds like in this situation you're the only one who indecisive you don't know what you want charged for this same haircut <laughs> oh my gosh and I was so upset the other day before leaving for the um, conference. Because, you know, I was trying to be cute. <laughs> Show up to the conference cute. And I wanted to get... I've been cutting my own size lately. And I will admit, it ain't the best looking cut. But it gets the job done. And I don't have to be in those spaces. Mm -hmm. But, I, I, you know, I wanted it to look fresh. So I went to the shop. And um, I was charged $20. Okay. So I guess five off, but still five up from what dudes are charged. I guess he rubbed on the ninth cut. You know, that's when the bitch finally made up her mind. <laughs> I'm sure that's how he talks about me when I'm not there. It's, it's been like whole things. Like, I told you that the same day I was getting my hair cut, this dude walked in and was like, um, gentlemen, how we doing this morning? You know? And it's like... I don't, I don't know what that was. I don't know if you were misgendering me in that moment. I don't know if you're completely acting like I'm not there I feel like it was that. in that moment. That was the latter thing for me. It was weird. And um, like me being 
all the things that I am in those spaces is kind of, it's just, I always have weird experiences in barbershops because they were rewatching the game, the like Lakers game. Yeah. And, you know, black, black men, they just think they have a monopoly on the NBA and that they know all things that are basketball. You know, this guy was talking about LeBron basically and about how, like, why he's not the GOAT, why he's not the greatest, mm-hmm. right? And, of course, so this guy was basically hashtag Kobe, right, about, like, Team Kobe, about, like, why LeBron isn't the greatest. And I was just like, nothing you're saying makes sense, right? And I was like, have you, like, I know y'all watching the game now, but have you seen the game? And he was like, oh, you know, he was just, he was just a, a, a big fish in a small pond. I was sitting there talking basketball to this guy. And it was just like nobody else said anything. It was it was just dead silence. And I can't remember the last thing I said to him. But honest, it, honestly, I didn't pull no receipts. I was just like, did you watch the game? And it was just like silent. Nobody said anything from then on. I actually think they changed the channel and put on like Queen Sugar. Wow. Which also happens a lot when I go to the barbershop. They'll change like, they'll it to cha- what they think you yeah. as a black they'll, woman want to They'll watch. change the channel. They'll change the music. The music, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's because, I wonder, do they just not see you as a peer? It's like, this is not, this is not your space. You I'm not going to talk here. about this with you. This is not, this is not the thing. And I also think this is not the place where you feel like you should engage with me on this topic that I'm obviously the expert about. I think that's one thing. And I also think that, um, you know, it's kind of like the same shit with like Megan the Stallion and anime. I think men can only think that women are into something if they're trying to impress some dude. So they don't think that you mm-hmm. have a genuine, authentic interest in it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, this bitch trying, she trying to prove something right. in the barbershop. Like, like, you hear, like you're only here because of some man. Yeah. Right? It's like yeah. They, for some, and they don't think, again, that you have a genuine interest. Um, and passion for the sport. It also kind of fucks with, like, the type of woman that they think would be into this thing. Yeah. Like, I'm not a dyke in the way that they think I would show up. Yeah. Being, being there yeah, talking exactly. about basketball. Right. They were, they were, yeah. if, if you and I walked into the, into the shop, they would, uh, well, actually, if you just saw me, if, as soon as I opened my mouth, they'd be like, that bitch, we know that that bitch masculine presenting or not is not into no basketball right but i think that that's the thing you don't look like again like the 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 quote-unquote quintessential dyke that would Mm -hmm, be into basketball mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so it's like as i'm sitting there getting my my rightful edge up not that rounded shit yeah and my side shaved there is a reading of my queerness like you you know i'm not a quote-unquote like typical girl or whatever uh-huh. whatever they would consider a typical girl right i'm fucking with with femininity in a certain way and then i'm also doing it in another way by like talking about this yeah i feel like it's just like men get mad when you take their toys away from them there it is. <laughs> you know it's like you don't show up in my barbershop talking basketball to me right. you're a girl but i also feel like i don't actually think that i don't i don't know actually anymore because i was gonna say is this is the side shave, is that still, like, solidly queer? I've been doing it for so long, I don't know anymore. I don't, like, I don't act, because maybe if this was, like, three or four years ago, I would have been, like, or three yeah. to five years ago, yeah. I would have been, like, ah. Yeah. But I just feel like that's, that's like, an I... aesthetic now. Because there's, like, a broadly, I think, kind of, like, queer aesthetic there's, happening. That, exactly. And there's then you a... don't have to be queer to have that aesthetic. Yeah. I think it was Diamond talking about this, about, like, the... 
like like queer aesthetic is pop aesthetic because it gets appropriated. It gets appropriated, yeah. So there is a queering of style because there's an appropriation right. of queer culture. Right. I think, yeah, I so th- much so that actually you walking in. So here's the thing: it's kind of like. I was going to say double consciousness, but it's not. that. It's like a weird sort of like double vision sort of thing. Whereas a, like, I think queer women would see you and be like, that bitch is probably one of us. Mm-hmm. But I don't, if you're not within like a queer gaze or a queer community, I don't think that those men in that shop would necessarily read that on you. Given the broader aesthetic of the moment. That is so, you're so right. That one of the barbers said he wouldn't cut my hair because he said he don't cut women's hair. Yeah. But he cuts your hair. Yeah. And so, like, first of all, that's fucked up on a lot of levels. Sure. But, and so the barber I go to does cut women's hair. But there, there's just this way that I'm not read as, like, queer off-rip. Yeah. You know? Like, in a way of, like, femme invisibility with queerness. Like, they assume that femme presenting women aren't queer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So it's yeah. like, just this, Yeah. This erasure of my queerness in that moment, but also like a hyper visibility of me being a woman in the barbershop. Yeah. It's really interesting. I went there and every time it's time to do the edge up, one time he gave me that awful rainbow thing. That's, Why do they do that? That half circle. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I have another story to answer that. And um, But then he did that. And so the next time I saw him, I was like, don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And the question that he has asked me since is like do you want to you want to cut like a man or a woman and i'm like i want to cut the way that i I'm, like yeah it cut, which is like sharp who likes that rainbow shit nobody I, nobody even <laughs> a five-year-old would be like mom why you let him do this to me you know but so i've been telling you about another uh black lesbian barber who I, I go to. I think that that this person is kind of like that platform in uh, Harry Potter. Nine and three quarters? Where, <laughs> no. You, oh, you, you have to know the secret code to like get in. No. Because I, I I went to the shop that you told me she was at. But I looked in the window. It was two women waiting to get their hair cut. Yeah. Uh, and I read them both as queer. So I was like, oh, this must be the place. No. And they was like, oh, uh, no. No, not here. So I went to this lesbian barber mm-hmm. and and it was so funny because she was like what you want and so i had gone to this guy who just totally it was another guy there that was what i, I think i did that in a curved chronicle yeah you totally did fucked my head up so uh-huh. i went to go see her so she was like who did this she was like mm, just fucked up mm-hmm. and it was so funny because you know, like she's masculine presenting she's like she's like i hate when they do this she's like they do this to us they do this to us she's like She's like, they think just because, you know, we studs or we masking, she's like, they can fuck our shit up. She's like, you <laughs> fucked your shit up. <laughs> and that was, I I got like, I think I had orgasms looking at my the pictures of myself after that haircut. <laughs> it was a good she haircut. Just, she just did such a good mm-hmm, job. Because I was like, it was so funny. I was like, hey, can you do this, this, and this? And so she was like, how about you just let me do what I want to do? And I was like, <laughs> say no more. Yes, you you're right. And so, and it was just like those little things where she was like, mm-hmm. like they, why do they fuck us up like right, this? Right, right. You don't even think about it. Like, mm-hmm. it's so funny because you don't necessarily think about a haircut 
like the process. Mm -hmm. Like there's like a process of giving like a, a queer haircut. But she was like, no. She was like, they don't be doing the parts right. She's like, yeah. they don't be doing the lineup and the edge up right. And I was like, huh. And like the best barbers I've ever had in Syracuse have been black lesbians. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the shop uh, the other day and she was just, so she had a friend um, who was there and um, <clears throat> they were just being so out of control. And so it was other people there and they're just like loudly talking about sex toys, dildos, queer sex, their <laughs> girlfriends. And this is how I know that I still have like a little bit of like internalized homophobia because I was like, can they do that in here? <laughs> and like I was dying. Mm. And it's like I'm like, I don't know her outside of like getting mm -hmm. a haircut. And they were just like so they were just going back and forth. And actually I don't know the um the gender of her friend. And but uh the barber was just being so ridiculous. So she was like, cause the other person was just a total What's the gender neutral way to say fuck boy? I just a uh, fuck them. Fuck person. And so she <laughs> and so uh, my barber was like, you just you just fucking it up for all of us. They they all gonna think we trash out here. <laughs> and it was just like so. Um, it was just so funny, yeah. and it was just I I don't think I've had like an an experience like that that was just like so brazenly. Unapologetic. You could tell other people in the barbershop. Mm -hmm. like, there, there was like mild, more than mild, like discomfort. Everyone was like, "That is so." They were funny. like quiet, and then yeah. like somebody's like blasted the radio mm -hmm. as they're obviously like trying right, to like right. talk to one talk, another. But yeah. like she just had like such. She, you know, she works there. And she was like, "This is my space." All y'all niggas talk reckless. Exactly. That's what like I was just any thinking. Any other time, I've been. And so a, yeah. I'm, I'm cede the floor to me and my yeah, homie. Exactly. So it's like, why can't that be a space right. where her and her friend talk through that? And it was so funny because her friend was just, I mean, just total trash. <laughs> I think they're self-aware that they were trash and they were saying stuff and even like because you know I'm actually like a very reserved um, person but I was like nah I was like you can't do that mm -hmm. I was like that's fucked up and then so you know they're telling this story about you know I mean what again I don't know um, how that person identified but they were like you know you know I'm dealing with this girl you know she still got her uh, her man and I was like leave it alone <laughs> leave it alone <laughs> leave it alone <laughs> And we're just like in there, like kikiing and like cracking up. And you could, again, it was just like, I think there was a small part of me, maybe not even so small, that was just like, yeah, y'all can sit and hear this. It's yeah. not going to end. Is it really mm -hmm. going to be the end of the world for mm -hmm. you to hear about a strap on? Mm -hmm. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's it's really mm -hmm. not. You could just tell. Might learn something. You might. <laughs> right. Ain't nobody breaking plastic. Uh, Cutlery over here. Yeah, exactly. Fucking loser. <laughs> that's what I'm like. That's a horrible example because dildos don't get tired. And they don't get soft. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know how, I don't know how other people have sex, but I've never cracked a dildo in half. <laughs> you know I mean? Maybe it's something to and then, work towards, but I have... It's like, that's not even the right kind of plastic. <laughs> like, right. You really think... You really think dildos are made out of the same plastic as That sports? you have at a barbecue? <laughs> Come on, now. That doesn't even make sense. What is does your like ideal barbershop look like? Where do you wish you could get your hair cut? Since we don't have a camera-ready cuts here in Syracuse. Well, 
I honestly feel like if we were in a different kind of city, I think what Sun was trying to do yeah. with her shop, mm-hmm. where like she was like featuring art there, yes. she was doing yeah. gatherings, right. she was doing parties, yeah. and she had this. Um, she had like a bookshelf, yeah, with like different kinds of like books, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it it really just felt like a, a community, yeah, space. Uh, like a like it had like a day vibe, you know, business, mm-hmm. but also like a night vibe, and yeah. like I just think that if she had more support in the city, I think it really um, could have popped off into like what she wanted it yeah. to be. But I think it was like serving, and she was like really strategic in trying to make it serve as like a cultural hub. And yes. I know that I don't, I, mean, I know that that's kind of what like the barbershop is in uh black communities, but I think that just like that but with like mm-hmm. um like uh, with uh, like queer vibes. Like yeah. I remember I got into like a discussion with this dude against my better judgment. But it, it actually went all right. This dude because and I think about like because people know her, respect her, and she lived there for the um for a long time, and there was other queer people in and out of there. Like there was this even just the kind of dudes that were coming in there. Like I got into this dude's ass about uh, Bill Cosby. He was like, you know, he's like, I, I hear what you're saying. He's like, I get that, I get that, and it's like, and that's not because I'm so special and important. And it's like I can't help but think in some small part, it's a, it's two things. Either it's a self selecting kind of dude, right? right. That's going to go mm-hmm, into that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. space, right? Mm-hmm. And or there's like, it's a particular, you're more likely to be even mildly transformed in that kind of Exactly. Space. You know what I yeah. mean? And not to mention, hands down, some was given the best haircuts in Syracuse. The fucking like, best. But like, no competition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you spend half your day half, there. Clear, <laughs> clear the calendar. Because, I mean, she's precise. <laughs> I mean, you ain't gonna do nothing else that day, but you gonna have the flyest haircut on the Easter fucking seaboard. I yeah, tell you that. Yeah, and it's so funny because like we're, I mean, she's black, and like a lot of the people there that go to her were black. But I'm also just thinking about the other barbers that she yeah. had in the space. Like mm-hmm. she had like a Latinx barber mm-hmm. in there. Um, she had a barber from like the Middle East yeah. in there, and and because of mm-hmm. the side of town. Um, that it was on. There's like a lot of refugees yes. in that neighborhood, so yeah. it was like it was like a, just a lot of different yes. folks like coming through in yeah. there too, and so like mm-hmm. that also seems important. So it's like yeah. again, it was like a totally. It was very clear that it was like you know a black run black mm-hmm. barber, but it was also again I think in a lot of ways it was also like a very like diverse kind. It of It was community. like a UN for the hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, I'm kind of getting sad now because I, you know, I was thinking of asking that question because it's like, oh, imagine this space. But we had it and it's gone. Yeah. yeah. You don't know what you got till it's gone, for right? For real. For real. So, shout out to all the queer folks who are um, reclaiming the spaces that yeah. we deserve in barbershops. And I know that um, camera ready cuts. Uh, it's trying to start sort of like a, a green book for barbershops that are queer friendly across the um, country. And so if y'all have like an amazing queer barber yeah. or like a queer barbershop, tag them. Like put them in the hashtag. If they don't identify as a as a, a queer woman of color. Queer Pac. Um, yeah, queer Pac, you know, something. Just we need to highlight the spaces that we could get damn haircuts. Yeah. And our safe side still... Uh, a demarcator of queerness. They make my antenna go up when I see shave sides. 
I think when I see shave sides with a proper edge up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's that video? <laughs> About the lesbian with Perm, the... ponytail edge up. <laughs> yeah. That is so funny. All right. So we are finally at our Curved Chronicles. Curved, 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 curved. which is where we talk about our dating woes and wins um do you have any Nikita do you have a curved chronicle do I have a curved chronicle uh nope everybody I love and care about was gone over the weekend so I felt curved (laughs) by you all (laughs) y'all see let me tell y'all something about this uh small little person that I decided to befriend you could go out of town whenever you want and never tell nobody but the minute, and you knew I was going, but the minute somebody leaves, you feel curved. I've never said I was a, a good person. What is your point? <laughs> anyway. um, So this isn't a curved chronicle. It's more like a missed connection. Oh, my God. I wasn't curved or I didn't curve someone, but I did not take advantage of the moment. I froze, Nikita. I froze. What, say more. Okay. So, you know, I went to Locks. Yeah. Lesbians of Color Symposium. Um, Like I said, just sign me up for a lifetime membership because I'm going every year. And there was this person there. So she walked in and I immediately noticed her because of her glasses. She had the cutest ass glasses on. Mm -hmm. And I I know I felt like I was back in like fourth grade. Like, I like your glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Better than I like your time zone. (laughs) Shut up. Um, and so she was sitting on the opposite side of the auditorium for me. That's right. I said auditorium. There's an auditorium full of lesbians of color. Gosh, got tingly for a minute. Okay. (laughs) And so I didn't really get a chance to like talk to her because she was on the other side. Right. But we were in this workshop together. This, um, uh, workshop on like self healing, uh, that was the workshop. Uh, it was facilitated by, um, two folks named Taniqua and Misty um, and they were also making a playlist during the workshop so you know I, I loved right. that workshop of songs that like keep us going and so I ended up sitting behind the cutie with the glasses uh, and so everybody was sort of sharing out their self care practices and people were being really vulnerable and like talking about stuff they do to stay okay and then a few people like three in a row were like my partner's white so I do this my partner's white, so da-da-da, you know, like like finding space in their home even though they have a white partner. And so I didn't realize I had said this out loud, but I did. And I was like, damn, everybody got a white girlfriend. <laughs> and cute glasses turned around and looked at me and said, not me. I ain't got no girl. Oh. And I just melted. I felt my insides melt. And I didn't say anything. I know you ain't got a girl. <laughs> Don't need to disrespect her. Wonder if you even notice me. You, you gotta, gotta feel me. <laughs> no, it doesn't stop there. So I froze like a dork. Mind you, I have on cute glasses too. Because I just got new glasses, y'all. If y'all haven't seen in the photos. Hashtag prescription. <laughs> All my glasses prescription. I think I put that as a caption. You did. <laughs> There's so much I could have and would have and should have said in that moment. 
because she looked right at me and said that. But I didn't say nothing, Nikita. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I think because I overheard her. I feel like there is something to, um, even though we obviously in this space together, I overheard her talking to some other women like during a break we had. And she was talking about basically like surviving Harvard Law School. Yeah. And I was just like, what do I talk to a Harvard Law graduate about? She at a lesbian color symposium. I know. And what's so funny is like that academic accolade or achievement is not out of out of my like dating pool, you know? Yeah, of course. Like I okay. What do I'm, you mean? I'm an academic You're literally, bitch. Like, literally. Literally <laughs> in a PhD program. <laughs> but I you know, um, you know, these institutions have impacts on us for real, you know, and just like the the thing the all the things that stand up inside of you when you hear Harvard, sure. you know, it's like in law, in law, okay. Okay. you know, it's okay. like okay, the, this bitch know law too. On top of being smart, you know, it's just like yeah. all that okay. stuff. Okay, and so I'm like, what what do I say to her? Yeah, For, forgetting all of this shit of both of us being black lesbians, you yeah. know, it's like okay, well, um, so I let the moment pass anyway. Uh, that's not the end of the saga with cute glasses. So we go to lunch. And so I'm talking to another very fine black lesbian who was there with her partner. And she was asking me about my, like, dissertation. And so, again, another reason why, right, like, this woman is, like, not out of my dating pool. But I'm thinking to myself, like, what do I say to her? So I'm talking about my dissertation. And they were like, oh, that's cool as fuck. Like, can we read it? Like, are you here? And I was like, no, I'm in Syracuse. Glasses walks right behind me and is like, I'm from Syracuse. You just said, oh, that was the time zone we once shared. (laughs) Shut up, Nikita. And so I exploded inside. And I was was like, what? What a small world. I said something cheesy like that. All right. And, Not the worst. Uh, yeah. And so I was like, what's your name? You know, because I didn't get her name. I've been calling her glasses in my head this whole name, time. Man. I want to know if you got him. Well, I know you don't got a man. So. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah. So we start chopping it up. She tells me, you know, like the hospital she was born at. Come to find out I worked at that hospital for a little while. You know, so we just sharing all these Syracuse tidbits, right? And she was talking about, like, how she got out of Syracuse. Like, there's nothing there. She's wishing me luck for staying in Syracuse and all of that. And in all that time, I couldn't come up with anything flirtatious to say. So she walked away, whatever. And then, obviously, because I'm me, I got a headache. And so the the rest of, after lunch, I was, like, not really there. I was sort of, like, floating through a headache. And then we went to a weird workshop that I was feeling some kind of way after and I noticed that she was at the last um, keynote. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to sit next to her, which I did. Um, but I didn't say anything still. I just couldn't find it in me to say anything. Um, and so as we were leaving out, I saw her by the door and she gave me her card. And so now it's like... Oh, what are you going to do? I don't know. Because... First of all, I just need to highlight that she gave me her card Move and on. Nikita told nope. me nope. that nope. cards nope. were not an effective way to flirt. That, right. That's not what cute glasses thinks. Okay. You and your optical bay can have a long, you all can live in your beautiful house 
built out of business cards. <laughs> Is that what you want to hear? Yes. Okay. Business cards and cute frames. So, I don't know. What do I do now? Because it's, it's a business card. It's like her business contact information. I feel like you have to find a way to move from professional to personal. How do you do that? I don't know. Hey, don't know if I should send this to your work email. Don't know if you have a personal one, but just have. That doesn't help. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, do you? I don't know. Because it's like, yeah, I want to email her. Yeah. But the email address is, you know, at businessincorporated.com. <laughs> so... <sighs> I feel like you just got to shoot the shot. In the worst case scenario, you're never going to see her again. Right. You just be like, hey, you know what? I thought you were super cute and I'd like to get to know you more. Best. Regards. <laughs> Not regards. <laughs> Warmly. <laughs> Light and love. <laughs> Light, love, and licks. <laughs> a, a little glasses face emoji. Please don't. You told me that emoji. Oh, on my right. Foot. You're right. <laughs> it just seems a, a bit nerdy. That's you. Nerdy is cute. You look cool enough to make it work. I think you just got to do it. You're never going to see her again. Actually, the lesbian community is about. Exactly. It'll be fine by the time you see her. And again. she's from Syracuse. It'll be just my luck. We get stuck on the um, trailways together for six hours. <laughs> I must say, you'd be shoveling your uh, car out. You'd be like, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it'll be just my luck. <laughs> Shoot the shot. I am. I just need to figure out how. That's it. Just keep it light, simple, cute. How fast should I do it? Cause it's been a couple days. Yeah, you can sh- do it now. Okay. I think it's got to be cute. Don't do anything long, money. You got to think of it like a text message: cute, light, and sweet. So just like, hey, you. I don't know if you remember me. Nope, it's too much. <laughs> hey, you. I thought you were really cute with your glasses. You do have to do something. And you told me you didn't have a girl. Mm, no. <laughs> oh my god. We'll oh. work on it off okay. air. Okay. We'll we'll off um, air. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll get it together. But I, I so you think I should shoot my shot yeah. via the contact yeah. card. Okay. I just want you to remember this. Okay. Because you told me not to take cards and I didn't. All right. Well. (laughs) Okay. Here you go. I just want you to remember that. All right. So this has been Money, the Dissertating Dyke. Mm -mm. This has been a marvelously made program with Money, the Dissertating Dyke. And Nikita, your friendly neighborhood DIY dyke. And this was Queer Rock the Podcast. See y'all in two weeks. Oh, wow. Y'all are still listening. Y'all are still here. We are so excited. And thanks for your dedication to listening until the end. We have a treat for you. Because you stay with us this long, we're going to give you five dollars off of the t-shirts so if you're and if you're not a patron not just five dollars off but you don't even have to worry about the shipping we got it covered for you listening to the end 
So, if you would like a t-shirt, that means you get one for $20. That's right. $20, free shipping, $5 off. Use the code SECRET T. T-E-E. That's right. <laughs> and you'll get that t-shirt. So, get your orders in now. Hit us up on the Cash App, $20, and you got your $20 tea.